morning, Winona Gospel Church. I'm excited to open up the Word of God with you again this morning. Uh, we're going to continue our time in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you grab them and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 15 to 17. And in this, we're going to begin a, a new section here uh, where it's one of the most glorious sections about Christ. It's one of those sections that you can live in your whole life and still not come to grasp all that there is in these verses. Um, And this morning, we're just going to begin to take a look at that. And I pray that um, you would grow in your understanding of Jesus Christ and the understanding that you already have of Jesus Christ would be deepened uh, through this message. So if you're there, I'm going to begin reading in verses verse 15 through to verse 17. And we thank God that the power is in his word. So to the word we will go and read and expound. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together the message this morning is titled christ and christ alone is supreme christ and christ alone is supreme there's a story told of a chinese boy who wanted to learn about jade the stone so he went to study with a talented old teacher And the teacher put a piece of this precious stone into his hand and told him to hold it tightly. Then he began to talk philosophy. He began to talk about men and women and everything under the sun. After an hour, he took back the stone and sent the boy home. And this was repeated for several weeks. The boy became frustrated with his teacher, but he was too polite to say anything. He, he was wondering, when would he be told about the jade? Then one day, the, when the old man put a stone into his hands, the boy cried out instinctively, that's not jade. Without even knowing it, the boy knew a real jade from a fake one. And it, it's the same way in the banking world. Bankers are trained to recognize counterfeit money. And instead of giving bankers the fake money, All they do hour after hour, day after day, is handle authentic currency until they're so familiar with it that they can't possibly be fooled with the false. And for believers, this is the way it should be with Jesus Christ and the Word of God. We should be able to spot false teaching on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is central to our faith, and we can't get him wrong. We can't miss the mark when it comes to Jesus. For example, if you had a million dollars, it wouldn't be worth anything if it was all counterfeit money. And in a similar way, if you don't know the true Jesus as presented in Holy Scripture, then you only have a Jesus of your own imagination. And it's a dangerous thing to have a false understanding of Jesus Christ. In our day, there, there are many false portrayals of Jesus. 
And I came across an article written by Kevin DeYoung where he presented a number of these different kinds of Jesus. Listen to some of them. He says there's the therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on on ourselves. There's open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as you. There's touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcome of Super Bowls. There's hippie Jesus who teaches everyone to give peace a, a chance, to imagine a world without religion, and helps us to remember that all you need is love. There's Guru Jesus, a wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your center. Then there's Boyfriend Jesus, who wraps his arms around you and he wraps his arm around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. And one more, there's Good Example Jesus, who shows you how to help people, how to change the planet and become a better you. Needless to say, there are countless views of Jesus floating around. And it's not to our benefit to pick and choose the version of Jesus that we like. Jesus isn't one of many. Jesus is unique. He's one of a kind, as we will see this morning. And the attack on the person and work of Jesus Christ, whether minor or major, slight or severe, has been around for ages. And the battle still rages on. And this spans from our day today all the way back to the Colossian church in the first century. So what was this false teaching concerning Christ? Well, to put it in in a nutshell, Christ was significant but not supreme. Christ was prominent but not preeminent. It was taught that all matter was evil, including the body, and therefore God couldn't come in contact with matter. It was also taught that since Christ had a human body, he was created and not truly the Son of God. In other words, they denied the deity of Christ. And how does Paul handle the situation? Like every Sunday school student would say, whether or not they know the answer, they would raise their hand and say, Jesus. So what's Paul's answer going to be to the false teaching looming over the Colossian believers? Jesus Christ. He's going to put Jesus Christ in his rightful place of preeminence. And in our passage this morning, Paul's going to make an undeniable and emphatic defense of Christ's deity. He's going to give us a heavy dose of the supremacy of Christ. He's going to give us a weighty and glorious description of Christ. One, I believe, is the riches in all of Scripture. And why does he do this? Because when Christ is in his rightful position of preeminence, when everything revolves around him, when we understand his relationship to everything else, then this brings glory to God. And this was the end to which we were made. And God has brought this about through his son, Jesus Christ. The description that Paul gives is timeless. And therefore, it's not only for the saints in Colossae, but also for all of us today. Paul is going to show the preeminence of Christ by making it crystal clear that it's not Christ 
plus other things. It's not Christ alongside other things. It's not Christ among other things. But Christ supreme over all things. Christ is Lord over all. And in our passage this morning in verses 15 to 17, we're going to look at five theological truths that demonstrate Christ's supremacy in creation so that you would know everything revolves around him because he's all and in all. And the five truths we're going to cover are truths that we need to return to again and again. They're more than insights to store up. They're more than verses to memorize and recite. We need to grasp these truths and be grasped by them. And Paul is going to bring us face-to-face with Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Christ is going to be set before our very eyes. And as we behold Christ this morning, I pray you would embrace more of him and love and obey him. Your love and your obedience to him would increase. I pray that you would be in awe of who he is and that you would see Christ in a greater light and that the light of his glory would outshine all other things and people in your life. So with that, the first theological truth is Christ is the absolute of creation. Christ is the absolute of creation, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul begins by stating Christ's relationship to his Father. Christ is the image of the invisible God. And we know that God is spirit and therefore cannot be seen. In Exodus 33, Moses says to God, Please show me your glory. And the Lord responds by saying, I will make all my goodness pass before you, but you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And Paul, at the end of his letter to, to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, says that God dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. So we learn that no one has ever seen God or can see God. However, as verse 15 reveals to us, there is one in whom the invisible God can be seen. How? What must be true about Jesus if he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation? Very simply, he must be God. There's no other explanation that is sufficient. Paul clearly states Christ is the image of the invisible God, meaning Christ is the infinity of God perfectly revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ is the living image, the exact visible replica of God. The unseen God has become seeable. The invisible has become visible in the person of Christ. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we're told about the creation of man. We were created in God's image. An image in that passage refers to something that's carved out or cut out. And from the very beginning, God planned to make a similar creature to himself. And the Hebrew word for image and likeness refers to something that's similar 
but not identical to the thing it represents or is an image of. When we come to our passage, we see the word image, and here it has, it has to do with an exact replica or a precise copy, although the word doesn't always refer to a perfect image. But in our, our context here this morning, it demands that kind of understanding. Christ is the perfect visible representation and manifestation of God. And you can think of a photograph if it helps you put things um, to a picture. And some of you may already know this, but for those of you that don't know, I'm an identical twin. And many people say that my brother and I look exactly alike and sound exactly alike. And although our appearance may look alike and our voices may sound alike, we're not an exact replica of each other. And contrary to advanced photo technology like facial recognition, apps like Facebook and Google Photos reveal that they aren't 100% accurate. And I know this because as has happened multiple times, I'll be incorrectly identified or tagged as my brother, and the same thing for him is true. The point is, you and I, or my brother and I, all of us are made in the image of God. But Jesus isn't made in the image of God. He is the image of God. Jesus Christ is the image of God. Let that sink in a bit. He didn't become the image of God, but has been that from all eternity. There was never a time when he wasn't. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Philippians 2.6 says that he was in the very form of God. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, Hebrews 1.3. Christ is the exact representation of who God is and what he is like. God's attributes and nature are perfectly represented and manifested in Jesus Christ. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So what is God like? How do you understand who God is? Jesus Christ. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus says of himself in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. And we can't forget about John 14. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Do you remember how, how Jesus responds to Philip? He says to Philip, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That's a profound statement. In Christ, the invisible God became visible. God has become manifest in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we we can behold the infinite. In Christ, we see who God is and what he's like. And God expresses who he is in the Lord Jesus Christ and no one else. And truly, Christ is unique and one of a kind. And Paul doesn't just stop there. He goes on. 
Christ isn't only the image of the invisible God. He's also the firstborn of all creation. He's the perfect picture of God, and he holds the highest rank in the universe. Firstborn, the word there, can refer to someone born first chronologically, but most often it refers to position or to rank. And in our passage, firstborn is used in reference to Christ. And it doesn't mean that Christ was born first or that the Son of God came into existence as if he was created. And how do we know that? We can just look to the next few verses. Look at verse 16. It says, By him all things were created. If, if he created all things, how could he be created? It's impossible for Christ to be both created and the creator of everything. Look at verse 17. It says, He is before all things. If there's a before him, then he couldn't be before all things. And sadly, not everyone believes in the eternality of Christ. Some, like Jehovah Witnesses, believe that Christ was created. They teach that only God the Father is God. And they misunderstand this word firstborn to mean that Jesus is the first created being. And as you can see, their reading of Scripture conflicts with verse 16, which portrays Jesus as the creator of the universe. And to get around this, they alter the word of God. The translation that they use is called the New World Translation. The New World Translation wrongly inserts the word other in between all things. So for example, in verse 16, in the New World Translation, it would read this way, because by means of him, all other things were created in the heavens and upon the earth, the things visible and the things invisible, no matter whether they are thrones or lordships or governments or authorities. All other things have been created through him and for him. And they do the same thing in verse 17 and verse 20. And by doing that, they're suggesting that Christ created all other things after he himself was created. In other words, Jesus himself is a creature who went on to create all other things. And what you need to understand is that the word other doesn't appear in the original Greek, which means that it was added in by the translation team of the New World Translation. And as you can see, there can be much harm in translation work, and the New World Translation is a prime example of that. Firstborn, then, refers to the place Jesus occupies, his position, his rank, his office, the place of preeminence. In the Jewish mind, the firstborn was the one who inherited everything. And when used of Christ, it means that Christ is the inheritor of all creation. He's the heir of everything. He holds the highest position. Firstborn, then, speaks to the fact that Jesus Christ exercises his sovereignty and supremacy over all of creation. He's the uncreated one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord of all creation, not born first and not part of creation, but exalted in rank above it. We can see it this way. Christ outranks all things in creation. 
And a commentator said this, he's not the first created being with primacy within creation. He has primacy over all creation. To sum up this first truth, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the absolute image of God, the absolute sovereign over all creation. And this truth should humble us and lead us to submission to his lordship. May this truth compel you to praise and worship God in Christ. May this truth drive you to exalt Christ above all other things. May the absolute of creation be absolute in every area of your life. Jesus is supreme in creation because of his relationship to the Father. The next theological truth is Christ is the agent of creation. Christ is the agent of creation. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. We just learned that Jesus holds the highest rank in creation, and here we find out why. It's because he's the creator of all things. Jesus Christ is the agent of creation. Here we learn that God entrusted the act of creation to his son, Jesus Christ, meaning that everything that is was created by him. There's nothing in the created order that Jesus didn't create. John 1, 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1, 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. The author of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 2, says that God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Everything, all things without exception, were created by him. And this includes all things visible and on earth, and all things invisible and in heaven. When Paul talks about thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities, he's referring to various categories or rankings of angels. And Paul here is combating the the teaching of the false teachers who were promoting the worship of angels. In in Colossians chapter 2 verse 18 it says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Paul rejects that teaching and makes it clear that angels, whatever their rank may be, are mere creatures and their creator is none other than the preeminent one who holds the highest rank, the Lord Jesus Christ. So no matter what rank of angels, Christ is over all of them because he's the one who made all of them. And let's pause here and take a step back to consider the supremacy of Christ in creation. Let me ask if you've ever stopped to think about the vastness of creation. Have you ever stopped to think about the vastness and impossibility of creation apart from a creator? From the macro to the micro, from the grand mountains to the sands of the seas, anything you can think of, Christ created it. And this is one of those truths that we understand, but we can't fully comprehend. We can talk about it, but to describe it in a way that brings justice to it, 
sometimes brings us to silence. So when zooming out and considering the vastness of the universe, we look up at the night sky and observe the stars. And the fact is, he's the one who positioned all of those stars. And let's just consider two of them. Did you know that the sun is 93 million miles away from Earth and is so large that 960,000 Earths could fit inside the sun? As big as the sun is, it's not even the largest star. One of the largest, if not the largest known star, is the Canis Majoris. And the size of the Canis Majoris is truly incomprehensible. If Earth was the size of a golf ball, the Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. And Mount Everest is the highest mountain in the world at 29,000 feet, or 8,800 meters high. It's so big that you can fit seven quadrillion Earths in it. And for your information, that's enough golf balls to fill the entire state of Texas 22 inches deep, or almost, or a little bit more than half a meter. And don't forget that somewhere on just one of those seven quadrillion Earth-sized golf balls is our planet Earth. That's just one star in the universe among a host of other stars that, that Christ has created. Now let's zoom in and consider DNA. Did you know that if you were to read your DNA, reading one character per second, day and night, it would take you 96 years to read? So when we pause to consider the vastness of creation, this ought to astound us. And we, when we read that for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, we ought to be astounded as well. You know, earlier this week, I was talking with someone at church here, and he was telling me about some of the renovation work that went into this church building. And it was a massive project. He showed me some photos, and it looked like it required a countless number of hours, manpower, tools, materials, and also specific skills to be able to renovate this building. And it got me thinking of the stages, uh, not involved in a renovation, but just the stages involved in building a house. And I'm not an expert in this area, but I know that it involves an architect who draws up the blueprints. And the blueprints are, are the plans that list the specifications on how everything is to be constructed. Now, the architect isn't the one who builds it. For that, you need to contract builders who who hammer the nails, who lay the floors, who put up the walls, and do a number of other things to construct the building. And once the house is built, someone moves in and enjoys the many features of the home, whether it be a hot tub on the deck or some kind of special basement. And then lastly, once the house is occupied, it needs to be kept up. It needs to be maintained by timely repairs and maybe even a bit of remodeling here and there. All that to say, we usually just see the finished product, but there's a lot involved in building a home. And the point is, Jesus Christ 
is all of those in relation to the whole of the universe. Jesus Christ is the architect. He's the designer. He's the engineer. He's the builder. He's the owner. Jesus Christ is the divine mind, the divine magnificence behind all of creation. How do we begin to, to wrap our minds around the truth that Jesus created everything? From the immensity of the universe to the intricacies of cellular life, he created all of it. From the strongest forces to the smallest measurable energy particle, he created all of it. And not only did he create, but we need to know that he invented and designed it all, all the component parts that make up the whole. Everything from how things relate and function, how one thing will relate to another, how one thing is dependent on another, Jesus Christ did all of that. This ought to blow your mind. We can only see visible creation. What about invisible creation? The things that we can't see. Our, our every experience is what it is because Jesus Christ has created and designed everything. I'll say that one more time. Our every experience is what it is because Jesus Christ has created and designed everything. And oftentimes, we read through the Gospels and we marvel at the person and work of Jesus Christ. All the healings that he did, all the miracles, Jesus stilling the sea, his authority over Satan and unclean spirits, his authority to heal all sorts of diseases and sickness. We're, we're wowed by Jesus in the Gospels. And we wonder at how such a person can do such things. We might even consider them strange because who can do such things? Who can do such things? And how can someone do such things? We can't overlook the fact that we learned here that the Creator entered into His creation. His works in creation aren't strange because he's supreme over all creation. He made it all. How could he not have authority over his creation? Christ made it all. How could he not be master over it all? From that perspective, it's no wonder that the wind and the waves obey him and diseases and death fled from him. Again, Christ and Christ alone is supreme. There's no theories in this verse. There's no chance or probability in this verse. There's no idea of any kind of evolution talk in this verse. To believe such error robs the Lord Jesus Christ of his rightful preeminence as the agent of creation, as a creator of all that exists. Augustine said this, Men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. God the Father entrusted the act of creation to his Son, Jesus Christ, and everything that is was created by him. And this is who we worship there's a, there's a well-known hymn that goes, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, 
thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. We should worship Christ for his greatness as shown in our passage in creation. May this truth stimulate your faith and lead to greater and higher devotion and adoration of Christ. May this truth open your eyes more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. May his supremacy in creation as the agent of creation humble you as you understand the world doesn't revolve around you. And may Christ be magnified as the one through whom God created everything. Not only is Christ the absolute of creation, not only is Christ the agent of creation, but he's also the aim of creation, the end of verse 16. All things were created through him and for him. Christ is the aim of creation because all things were created through him and for him. We like to think that things are, all things are for us. Here it says it's for him. As God, Jesus created the material and spiritual universe for his pleasure and glory. He made all of it. All things were created through him and for him. It's all by him, it's all through him, and it's all for him. All of creation revolves around Christ. Everything is described in its relationship to Christ. Do you believe, do you believe that? Christ is the aim of creation. Christ alone and no one else because all things were created through him and for him. He has created everything for his glory to fulfill his intended ends and purposes. It was all created by him and through him and for him. And this shows us that the creation, that creation points back to the creator. And this is built in into the very fabric of everything that is. All of creation, not only by him and through him, but for him. In other words, it all serves to bring us to his glorious conclusion and consummation. Everything drives us forward according to his great and grand purpose and end. Meaning, there isn't a single person, circumstance, situation, event in all of the universe that doesn't serve the purposes of God. And I've heard it said that there's, there's no rogue atom or electron in all of the universe. There's no rogue cancer cell, no deadly virus, no angel, fallen or unfallen, no stray bullet that doesn't, that's not, that's somehow outside his sovereign prerogative. For from him and through him and to him are all things. It's all for Christ. He's its source, its continuation, and its end. Why do we exist? The glory and pleasure of Jesus Christ, who is God. Everything in creation is for the purpose of the Son of God. All of history is moving toward this goal. He says in Revelation twenty-two thirteen, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things 
and through whom we exist. Christ is the divine agent and aim towards which everything is moving. And it's all for his honor and praise. Christ is Lord of all that is. Everything exists in him, for him, and through him. Jesus Christ is the sphere in which they exist, the agent through which they came into being, and the one for whom they were made. This means that Jesus is the aim or goal of all of creation. Everything exists to display his glory, and ultimately he'll be glorified in his creation, as we'll see in verses 18 to 23. We'll see that at a future time. This truth, again, should humble us. As we examine our own hearts, is our allegiance with Jesus Christ? Are our lives pointing to him? Are our lives being lived for him? If I took my car to the top of a mountain, hit the accelerator and decide that I'm going to go flying today, I'm going to be in for the shock of my life because my car wasn't meant to fly. Likewise, if we decide in our lives that we're going to live for ourselves and fly high, we're going to crash because we're meant to glorify God. It's not us that gets to set the agenda of our lives. We don't get to serve our own desires and purposes because that's not the end for which we were made. As much as we think that life is about ourselves, we need to be reminded that we're mere creatures who have been created for the glory of God. And that's why there's no true joy apart from living for Christ, for it's a living contrary to what it was created for. Brothers and sisters, let us be servants of Christ and not servants of self. Let us deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow him. Let us say with John the Baptist that he may increase and we may decrease. Let us align our aim with the aim of creation. The fourth theological truth is that Christ is the already of creation. Verse 17a. And he is before all things. Here we learn, again, that Jesus is eternal. He is before all things. And the all things there refers to everything created. Jesus is the already of creation. He wasn't created, but already existed eternally before everything was created. He's the preexistent one. There wasn't a time when Christ was not. In other words, Before there was creation, Jesus existed. Micah 5.2 says, His going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. John 1, 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus even says of himself, Before Abraham was, I am, in John 8.58. In the high priestly prayer of G, uh, in John 17, Jesus said, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. 
If you're familiar with the Nicene Creed, the Nicene Creed puts it this way. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds. That means that God the Father is eternally the Father, and Jesus Christ is eternally the Son. There was never a time when God the Father wasn't the Father, because there was never a time when Jesus was not the Son. If you think about it, how can God be the eternal Father without having an eternal Son? It demands that understanding. For me, as a father now, there was a time in my life when I wasn't a father. I only became a father when I had a child. However, that's not true of God, because God the Father has always been the Father because Jesus has always been the Son. Jesus never came into existence. And just like God the Father has always existed, so Jesus has always existed. He's eternal, and therefore, Jesus is God. And this really shuts the door and silences the mouths of the, of the false teachers who believed that Christ was a created being. It was their belief that Jesus couldn't have a physical body because that would be sinful. They taught that he wasn't fully God, but rather one among a series of lesser spirits that emanated from God in descending superiority. Nothing could be further from the truth. The deity of Christ is essential to our faith. It's essential to the Christian faith, meaning that we can't call ourselves Christians if we deny the deity of Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God, equal with God the Father. In John 5.18, the Jews were seeking to kill Jesus because he was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Just as God the Father is described as eternal, so is Jesus described as eternal. And just as God the Father is described as all-powerful, so is Jesus described as all-powerful, as we'll see in our last theological truth. Christ is the absolute of creation, the agent of creation, the aim of creation, the already of creation, and lastly, the anchor of creation. And in him, all things hold together. The question isn't what holds the universe together. The question is who holds the universe together. This speaks of Christ as the anchor of creation, as the sustainer and maintainer of all creation. He holds it all together, and all things consist in him. He made it all, he sustains it all, and it all continues because of Jesus. He sustains everything he creates. He sustains its existence at every moment of its existence so that there's a continuity to creation. In other words, Christ doesn't just hold things together now, but he has held everything together since its existence and continues to be upheld by him. This shows that he didn't just create and leave everything to be. Everything that is at every moment is completely and totally dependent on Jesus Christ. Christ causes all he created to be continually sustained down to the most minute molecule. 
And he upholds the universe by the power of his word, Hebrews 1.3. He created out of nothing, and therefore he sustains it by the word of his power. And the universe is constantly being maintained by his great power. Steve Lawson says, Christ keeps the earth on its axis and sustains its rotation in its orbit around the sun. He upholds all the laws of gravity and thermodynamics, which requires strength of an unimaginable magnitude. And this is yet another monumental truth. To think that the whole created universe depends on the presence of God for its existence. To think that in Jesus, the whole universe holds together. How are you holding together? How are you holding together? With all that's going on in the times that we're in, how are you holding together? With COVID and uh, another lockdown, physically, emotionally, relationally, how are we all holding together? In marriage, parenting, work, school, how are you holding together? Some of us, as is the case in life, we may be barely holding on. We may be at wit's end and losing hope. It's appropriate during these times to remember and remind ourselves that in Christ all things hold together. In Christ all things hold together. Cling to him. Hold fast to Christ. And let me say this, as you cling to Christ, as you trust and commit more of yourself to him, you'll find that while you cling to him, he's upholding you. Psalm 63, 8, my soul clings to you, David says, your right hand upholds me. The beautiful thing as a believer, that even when we fail to cling to Christ, even when we neglect following hard after Christ, you can know that he's still upholding you by his power. In a recent article from Desiring God that, that Kat sent to me, there's an article written by Marshall Siegel, and in it he talks about steadiness. He said, Steadiness in the Lord is upheldness. It is not mere courage or patience or sobriety but dependence on the upholder, the all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving king over all. Steadiness comes from knowing who holds our life, from clinging to all that he has promised us in Christ, from trusting him to sustain us day and night, whatever might come. He goes on to say that if we want a steady heart in an unsteady world, among unsteady people, during unsteady days, we need to be upheld and we need to know that we are upheld and will be upheld, end quote. This truth gives us confidence. This truth gives us hope. This truth allows us to go to bed at night free of worry, fear, and anxiety. We can rest in peace on our pillows at night. This truth allows us to rest in the supremacy of Christ. To quote another hymn, my hope is built on nothing less when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. 
So even if your world feels like it's falling apart, he's still holding you together because all things are held together by Jesus Christ. And that includes you and me. If he sustains the whole universe, then how can he not also sustain you and me? And just imagine what would happen if that wasn't true. If Jesus were to take a break, if he were to miss a beat or blank out, creation as we know it would return to the nothing from what, from what it came. God didn't simply start things off and then withdraw from his creation. He continues to sustain the whole universe. And there's a, a, a few years ago, I came across this story about a South American company who purchased a, a printing press from a firm in the U.S. And after it had been shipped and completely assembled, the workmen couldn't get it to operate properly. The most knowledgeable personnel tried to remedy the difficulty and bring it to, to proper adjustment, but to no avail. Finally, the company sent a message to the manufacturer asking that the company send a representative immediately to fix it. Sensing the urgency of the request, the U.S. firm chose the person who had designed the press. And when he arrived on the scene, the South American officials were skeptical because the young man didn't look the part. He looked inexperienced and too young. Therefore, they assumed he was immature. And after some discussion, they sent this message to the manufacturer. Your man is too young. Send a more experienced person. The reply came back saying, he made the machine, he can fix it. Christ not only created us, he also sustains us through every trial and through every triumph. We ought to run to Christ for all things during all times. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He made us and he doesn't leave us to figure out things on our own. So may we not be so naive to think that we can live this life apart from the one who made it all. May we come to a greater realization of our fallenness, of our weaknesses, our frailties, our inabilities and insufficiencies, and come to fully depend on the perfect, mighty, eternal, supreme, sufficient, and anchor of creation, Jesus Christ. And like all the other truths, this should humble us. We aren't self-sufficient. The universe itself isn't even self-sufficient. Since he holds all things together, all of creation is entirely dependent on him. His power guarantees that the universe is under control and not chaotic. And we need to meditate and ponder this truth. We need to consider Christ, his person, and his work outside the realm of just salvation and him as a redeemer. We need to be captivated by the anchor of creation because as Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. Our faith needs to increase and our appetites need to be even more hungry for Jesus Christ, who is the lifeblood of our faith. Jesus Christ is all and in all. Christ and Christ alone is supreme. So we've seen the five theological truths that have demonstrated Christ's supremacy in creation. 
so that you would know that everything revolves around him because he's all and in all. Paul wants every Christian and every non-Christian to know that Jesus Christ is supreme. He's supreme in relation to his Father, and he's supreme in and over all creation. He's central to all things because he's supreme over all things. And as we've learned, he's supreme because he's the image of the invisible God. He's supreme because by him and through him and for him were all things created. He's supreme because he's before all things. And he's supreme because he sustains and maintains and preserves all things. Now, is Christ supreme in your life? And if you don't know Christ, Scripture is clear. You've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. You can't know God except in Jesus Christ. He's the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. And that means only one thing. You must come to the end of yourself and come to Christ in repentance and faith. As has been famously said by Augustine, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. So I plead with you to call upon the name of the Lord. And if you do, you will be saved. You'll be given a new heart that will experience true rest. You'll have new life, a life that once alive will always be alive in him. Eternal life is unbroken fellowship with God, and the life that he gives will never end because God bestows a pardon that's irrevocable. And that's the good news before you right now. Will you repent of your sins and turn in faith to Jesus Christ? It's a devastating thing for a creature not to know and give glory to its creator. Hebrews 10.31 says, It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. However, it's a glorious thing when Christ reigns as Lord and Savior of your life. And if you're a believer... Take in Christ in all his glory and majesty as supreme in creation and over all creation. Rest and bask and bathe in your Redeemer. In these three verses, you'll find no commands. Paul's not commanding the Colossian saints or us to any action or to any kind of obedience. He's not telling us to do something. He's putting Christ in his rightful place He's putting Christ on display for all to see. This is who he is, and this is what he has done, is doing, and will continue to do. Worship him. Christ and Christ alone is supreme, and he reigns supreme over the visible world and the invisible world. He's preeminent over his creation, and things only make sense when Christ is kept at the center. Things only work as they're intended when everything revolves around him. To close up, in the beginning, I mentioned a number of false views of Jesus that Kevin DeYoung gave. After listing all, all of those portrayals of Jesus, in his article he says, and then 
there's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Creator come to earth, our Lord and God. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins, more loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. And I'll add on to that. He's supreme in creation because, as, as we've seen, he's the absolute, the agent, the aim, the already, and the anchor of all creation. For by him and through him and to him and for him are all things. All glory be to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in it we learn about who you are, how everything is for your glory, how through your son Jesus Christ everything visible and invisible was made by him and through him and for him, how everything holds together in him. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. I pray, Christ, that you would reign supreme in every area of our lives, that we would be ever more dependent on you, that the doctrine of Christ we profess would cause us to confess and repent of all the ways we fall short of your glory. And would you help us to turn to you in obedience so that Christ would rule our hearts, shape our attitudes, and direct our lives, all for your honor and glory. Amen.